Welcome to the World of Wisdom podcast. My name is Amit Paul, and today I, uh, I don't know how to phrase this thing. Well, actually I do, because I, I wrote a little sort of fanboy email to, to uh, the guest today, and because I caught some of his readings online, and they really, really moved me um, when you wrote about the uh, hero's journey. I was like, oh, yes, yes. That's it. Like, why aren't we talking more about that? So I'm hoping we'll get into talking about that today, among other things. Um, but until then, sort of very, very welcome to the podcast, Paul Weinfield. It's great to be here, Ahmed. Thanks for having me. I'm, I tend to get the hardest question out of the way right at the top. Um, and uh, it's, it's part, part laziness, but mostly it's actually to, to give you the freedom to dance into this conversation as you see fit. So, uh, Paul, who, who are you, Paul Weinfield? <laughs> You're right. That is the hardest question. Um, uh, so I'm a human. I, I like to start with that. Um, I'm a human being. Uh, and what that means for me is that, um, uh, perfection isn't an option. And when I find myself being perfectionistic, it means I'm not really being true to who I am. Um, and so you take perfection off the table. It's like, well, what else is there that I can do as a human? I can love. I can, uh, I can be open to, uh, to seeing things differently. I can be open to changing. Um, I can be open to connection. And I can also, um, be open to, to trying new things, you know? Things that I, I, because I don't have a fixed reality, um, I can, I can try new things. Um, so I like to think of myself as a human first and foremost. Um, then after that, I think I would, the other, uh, I'm always aware that whenever we add identity labels, that things get heavier and heavier. Mm-hmm. So as we embark on this voyage, I'm trying to see like, what do I really need to take with me as far as an identity? Um, yeah, the next identity I think I, that is important to me is a is a musician. I mean, I'm literally a musician, um, but to me, it's also how I see the world. Um, I I don't think that uh, we're here to build anything permanent. I don't think we're here to like make institutions. Um, we're just here to be really in tune, you know, with what's happening, play along really well, uh, to the best of our ability with what's happening. So I would define myself as a musician. And then um, and after that, I would define myself as a friend. Um, I think friendship is the highest form of love. And what I try to be is a good friend to myself, to others, uh, regardless of what society says the nature of the relationship is to me. Like I really look for you know, who am I as a friend here? So human, musician, friend. Mm. That's beautiful. I'm curious about, would you speak some more to that musician part that, mm-hmm. that, yeah, like you said, how, how you see the world is, is through that identity. What does that mean to you more? Um, it means, well, I think actually Alan Watts said it really well. Like if you think about a piece of music, right, the goal of a piece of music is not to get to the end as quickly as possible. It's to really enjoy what's happening. And, and so, uh, anytime that I'm tempted to like try to find some status in the world, like, um, I'm an, I'm a person who is a, a 
well-renowned author, whatever it is, you know, whatever it is, uh, there's a trap there. It's like I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to get somewhere with a piece of music rather than actually sinking into it and enjoying it, and, mm-hmm. you know, and having as much fun with it as possible. Really being present. I think that's you know a lot of what being a musician is just really being present. Yeah, it just speaks. To, I mean, partly because I have a past in music, but also just right. you, you know, just the, those two things that you picked up. It's like to be in tune with the world and to play along. Like those are. I haven't really thought about those concepts in through the mm. through the lens of looking at the world, but of course, like this concept of attunement is extremely important to me. I find and and the playing along. I mean, just playing. Yeah. Is just, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Right. It's like I was telling you before we got on the on the call, which is that like my life is a little hectic right now. And mm-hmm. you know, there's a part of me that's like, I don't want things to be hectic. I want I want there to be the slowness. I want everything to feel like a meditation retreat. I want to take my time. It's like, well, that's not what what's happening. Yeah, you know, that's mm-hmm. the tempo of my life is actually faster. So, you know, you don't make better music by fighting the drummer, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I'm, it's like, all right, I got to, I got to pick up the pace a little bit. That's what's happening here. I'm picking up the pace, right? Yeah. Like that. I, oh, maybe that's a, it's an interesting sidetrack to just for like, indulge me for a second. Um, but it's something that kind of popped up in a conversation between a friend and I the other day as well as like around what are the heuristics by which we can tell the tempo? Like what are our sort of, what are the habits by which we um, understand whether our life is hectic or not, uh, whether we are actually moving or not moving or whether, you know, and, and so what came up was that this person has been very much in an activist mindset and been fighting really big fights for the most part of her life. And, and now she's kind of relaxing a bit more, kind of doing that thinking and like letting things unfold in a different way. And she's like, I'm not sure I'm moving. Like, I don't know if I'm, and I was kind of, yeah. I got this, you know, this idea of the, you know, if you run headwind, run into the headwind, or if you have the wind in your back while you're running, yeah, like yeah, yeah, the feeling of, of like what seems to be moving is completely different. When you run into the headwind, it's really obvious that things you're like moving and struggling and like, it's, it's very but when you run with your wind in the back, it's a different story, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're moving slower. Usually the opposite. Right. Um, right. right. Yeah. And in fact, I think sort of, as you said, it's a little counterintuitive or it's counter to what we were, were taught, but there's a sense that when you, when there is more ease that you actually are moving more, not quickly, but more efficiently. And a lot more gets done. I noticed that a lot. I noticed that actually you mentioned being a musician. I noticed it a lot when I'm writing music, that if I really try to like push a song to be complete, you know, it's just like running into the headwind. And also if I don't do anything at all, nothing happens. But if there's a kind of like a very steady pace where I like, you know, write a line and then I sing the song to myself while I'm cleaning the house or cooking or whatever, it's like things start to come in, you know, and there's a sense of ease, like I'm sailing, not pushing. I'm thinking maybe to just lead us into that thing that that pulled me to to reach out because it feels like that that's important that perspective on the hero's journey that I was so so incredibly just captured by and and like there was so much relaxation in me when I when I read that that what you wrote and like what so would you do you want do you want to tell them or would, should I <laughs> what did you write. <laughs> 
Um, well, I'd be curious to know what you got out of it most, most oh, okay. of all, because of course that's like, you know, the meaning of, of anything is what people get out of it. Right. Cool. Yeah, we can start there. Uh, okay. I, uh, <laughs> so I mean, it's, it's, so the way that I heard you or the way that I read you in that piece was that you're, you're proposing that, um, what if we would, let's say. I don't know, complete the journey or like allow ourselves to be. No, that's not how I want to start this. I'm thinking, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm rather thinking like, so what I read, like the piece that I read was like this proposition that instead of thinking about the hero's journey of being something very active and me going out there and getting things and like, as soon as I have a victory or a win, that's what sort of propagates me through the next stage right. of this journey. Um, what I what I heard you propose was that like what if what if also the failures like what if also those times when you stumble and fall and die and break um, you know like when when your marriage ends or or when you're that close relationship or that project that you thought you were doing um, that was you that that those things that define you when when you stumble mm -hmm. and fall and fail um, right. what if what if the act of picking yourself up from there and then returning and doing the, the sort of the return to the village, like with the elixir, like maybe that, that the failure could also be the elixir. Sort of that's what I, yeah. the, that's what I got from it. Um, Absolutely. And there was something around there that was just awesome. Yeah, please. I'm wondering, would you like me to read it? It's a very short read. Please. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So it starts, the title I had for this was called Let Life Humble You. Let Life Humble You. Leonard Cohen said that his teacher told him once, that the older you get, the lonelier you become, and the deeper the love you need. This is because as we go through life, we tend to over-identify with being the hero of our stories. This hero isn't exactly having fun. He's getting kicked around, humiliated, and disgraced. But if we can let go of identifying with him, we can find our rightful place in the universe and a love more satisfying than any we've ever known. People constantly throw around the term hero's journey without having any idea what it really means. Everyone from CEOs to wellness influencers thinks the hero's journey means facing your fears, slaying a dragon, and gaining 25,000 followers on Instagram. But that's not the real hero's journey. In the real hero's journey, the dragon slays you. Much to your surprise, you couldn't make that marriage work. Much to your surprise, you turned 40 with no kids, no house, and no prospects. Much to your surprise, the world didn't want the gifts you proudly offered it. If you're foolish, this is will, where you will abort the journey and start another and another, abusing your heart over and over for the brief illusion of winning. But if you are wise, you'll let yourself be shattered and return to the village humbled with a newfound sense that you don't have to identify with the part of you that needs to win, needs to be recognized, needs to know. This is where your transcendent life begins. So embrace humility in everything. Life isn't out to get you, nor are your struggles your fault. Every defeat is just an angel tugging at your sleeve, telling you that you don't have to keep banging your head against the wall. Leave that striver there trapped in his lonely ambitions. Just walk away. And life in its vastness will embrace you. Mm. 
Mm. I felt funny reading it because of the conversation we've already been having, but it's good for me to remember sometimes what I say because I don't <laughs> always. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of, uh, we were talking a moment ago about being a musician and, uh, and I've had many failures as a musician and many walls that I've been hitting my head against as a musician. Happy to talk more about those in a moment. But I, I think that, you know, for me, whether you're, you're a musician or any other kind of person trying to do something in the world, um, the story is so painful or can be so painful. It usually is painful. Like our stories about ourselves are so painful, you know, and like one of the reasons why I've been so, so attracted to Buddhism is that the Buddhist teachings are really are about letting go of the story. Mm. Like he says at one place, you know, the holy life is lived for the abandoning of our stories. Um, I'm a hero. I'm a failure. I'm, I'm smart. I'm not smart. I'm pretty. I'm not pretty. I'm successful. I'm a loser, whatever, right? Whatever the story is, it's, it's so painful and it's such an obstacle to, to really, being happy and, and fulfilling your destiny. Mm-hmm. You know? I've seen it so much in my life. So I, I, I'm glad that this resonates with other people. And it's certainly something that I've just like really been struck with a t- time and time again, that when I go down that r- route of wanting to have a story, um, it's so painful. And I, and, I, and I don't grow as, a, as an artist at all, you know, or as a human being. It just keeps me really trapped. So. Mm-hmm. It plays like another string in me around around the artfulness in a way of of whatever living is something that I'm curious about at the moment. Yeah. Um, and so I still kind of stumble into my old self a little bit, like that that programming that tells me that unless you're what we we're alluding to before, like unless you're fighting, you're not really doing anything or you need to to do something that's worthwhile or like it's it's kind of this like productive um that this in a way it's like the industrial or, or capitalist almost mindset that is about you know you're mm-hmm. only as good as you're able to be efficient so to say whatever yeah. some yeah. some definition of that yeah. um and even this like these terms like performing you know which is a mm-hmm. joyful thing as an artist it's a joyful to perform right. and and it's right. not it's also tricky, I think, with with those things like that language that kind of bleeds. Like, when are you performing, and when are you? When are you just? What? What? Like, what's the difference between performance and presence? And you know, mm-hmm. where are you in relationship to your performance? And like, there's something in that dance that I perceive that that you might have something to say about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so much of right. I, I think you're right. So much of capitalism is is about performing. You know, and I think we're seeing as as we kind of get into the world of AI and we're seeing kind of where it leads to a really dehumanized place where in order to get ahead, we're, we're you know, really losing our humanity, entrusting it to machines. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the, yeah, I think that's kind of the end result of living for the story. Yeah. If we live for the story, eventually... You know, you're going to do what it takes to to have that story be a certain way, which really means prioritizing technology over over human. You know, because in, in humans, or natural humans, we we grow at a different rate. You know, we're we're messy and we're complicated, and uh, and and we're not efficient at all. We're not efficient at all. 
you know, and, and change is not efficient, right? And so all these ideas we have about how it's supposed to be really take us away from our humanness. I'm I'm curious about sort of that performance and the story, like in in the in the like look if you look at performance through like the the Buddhist lens, like where does that is there a place for performance there or like, and where does it sit? Like what what is it through that other cultural lens? Yeah, well, the Buddha was actually very critical of actors um, huh. because he uh, he felt that uh, that acting was basically a way to lose yourself in a role. Um, and that you would actually be uh, stirring up emotions. It's kind of like, I think Plato said something very similar. Uh, you're sort of stirring up all kinds of unwholesome emotions, and you're really trying to get, you know, as an actor, you're trying to get one way, one thing you could be doing is trying to get people to be on the hook, right? Mm -hmm. In the same way that, you know, like social media is designed to keep you on the hook. So you're always watching, you're always paying attention, you're always listening. And that, that could really give rise to all kinds of just, you know, greed, hatred, and delusion, basically. Um, I, I don't I don't think you have to take such a strong stance that, you know, you can't be any kind of an actor. But I, I would say, you know, as a, someone who's a performer, it's like you have to be really careful about what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so easy to get on stage and do what whatever it takes to get people to like you. Um, And that's very dangerous. That's very dangerous to your own, you know, emotional well-being. Mm. I've seen it. I'll give a, I'll be a little, a little more specific. I've just seen it as a musician. I mean, even when I'm writing a song, I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of aware in the background of like what people want to hear. You know, like people want to just feel good. They want to know that like it's going to work out with their girlfriend. You know, they want to mm. know that there's just like a beach party that never ends, right? And and like. I can do that, you know, and what's at what cost, right? I mean, is that, is that helping the world to just make songs that keep people on the hook in that way? So I think about this a lot and I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm in no way is perfect. You know, I, I do things that years later I look back and I'm like, man, why'd you say that? <laughs> you know, you were just trying to get people to, to feel a certain way about you. That wasn't the truth. So I do think with any kind of, performance you have to be really careful about truthfulness yeah yeah i mean that's interesting i think that's really interesting because in a way like i haven't really thought these thoughts before but what i'm hearing you speak to is that in a way any performance is is it has an aspect of like compartmentalizing or like interacting or like making making a story up um but there's also like a way where you can probably perform with an open-endedness like there is a mm -hmm. there is a Some of these artists, you know, I mean, like, you know, like people like Dylan and like the, the ones that, that yeah. were like reinventing themselves constantly, they weren't very stuck in their story. They were right. fully engaged and immersed in the performance, but it also, they kind of took the consequences of that performance all the way to letting it change them. Like the next time they reappeared in a new performance, they were just completely different and you wouldn't have, you know, sometimes you can't even imagine like the, the shifts that were there. Totally. And at the same time, there's that, that core becomes like parallax almost like you have this like different facets or like different perspectives on this one thing and, and it's more or less illuminating that one thing at the center of of it that might be some sort of humanness or i mean that's a high bar to set yes yeah you, you mentioned bob dylan um I, i think it was i think it was the liner notes to 
blood on the tracks one of his albums i forget who wrote it but somebody said that exactly that that bob dylan's not an emotional totalitarian like he's not trying to make you feel a certain way uh-huh. you know he's really kind of creating these stories and these you know and these these situations and these characters and and you can kind of feel about them however you want you know and you feel that freedom in his music i mean whether you're a bob, bob dylan fan or not like there is you do feel that in his music whereas in other kinds of music you sometimes feel like oh they're trying to get me to feel a certain way mm-hmm. you know yeah and and i and you can feel the manipulation yeah. um so anyway, I think about that as an artist. Yeah, ha, yeah. Yeah, I was. I just got curious about how that relates to because another facet of your identity is also that you work as a coach, right? You you coach right. people, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious about that, like getting people to versus that open endedness, also in that aspect of of life. You know, totally. Well, one thing I, I, I hope I've been clear about is that I'm not against the imagination. Imagination is so important, you know, and, and imagination is not, uh, doesn't have to be manipulation. It can mm-hmm. be actually a way of really getting to the truth. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, when I do coaching work with people, uh, we do a lot of sort of like um, dramatizing of what's going on inside of them. So we'll like often break up, you know, their, their mind into different parts. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll give those parts very dramatic roles. Like it could be like, you know, I, I did a session not too long ago with somebody, there was a, a, a wounded king and, and part of him was a wounded king and, and part of him was, was Merlin, this wise sage, yeah. you know, and the two of them were having a conversation and it was really getting to the truth of what this person was experiencing in his real life in a very, very deep and profound way that we couldn't have gotten to. We were just saying like, Hey, what's going on at work? Right. But but the thing that's different is that it there's no script. I'm not I'm not saying, well, this is how the drama unfolds. I'm asking him, so so what's Merlin saying now? And what's the wounded king doing? And and what what happens next? You know, and, and in that openness, the truth can really emerge. You know, and I think as performers, that's what we're doing too. We're we're, we're staying in that openness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love that because it's it's it, it ends up being something of a conversation with with it's it's just uh, maybe it's even about like sort of including more relationships than than the ones we're used to including like for, for I mean you're pointing to like there's a there's a way that we can relate to ourselves or different parts of ourselves right. like which which might be one thing but there's the you know for a musician it might be how you interact with the audience in a, an actual performance situation or actually your instrument like the the tool that you're using to sort of recreate your art or whatever it might be that to, to let that materiality mm, inform you, like to to right. take shape or like shift shape shift depending on like yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah, and that that goes back to this whole thing about being human because being human means being multiple yeah you know and, and I think that's something we're unfortunately we're losing we're losing sight of um, because to be human means to have different parts that don't always see things on the same in the same way. You know, to be human means you have a part of you that, that loves your partner and wants to wants to be with them and another part that wants to just pack all your things in the car and hit the road, you know, and, and that's and that's what it is yeah. to be human. And and, you know, what what technology and, and all, all this stuff kind of uh, leads us to think is that we need to brand ourselves as one one person. Oh, this is me. You know, this is Paul. So like 
it's so difficult. I, I see a lot like people are like, oh, so you're, you know, that's your thing, Paul, is like humility. That's your, that's your thing. And it's like, well, if you get to know me, you'll know there's a part of me that's not humble at all, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, or like, you know, or, or like your thing is, you know, uh, you're, you know, you're, you're the spiritual guy. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, well, hang out with me for a while. You'll see there's a part of me that's not spiritual at all. Uh-huh. Right. You know, and that's to me, I, I, I embrace that because that's, that's what it means to be human. Everything else is just an avatar, you know, on, on some AI program. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I mean, and even to to think about things as in like these different, whatever, but there's like some sort of dance going on in order to discover that, like discover something. Like it's it seems to be dancing around something, you know, and, and totally whatever that might be, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, right. And there's there's a there's a core that just is totally beyond any words and images, too. Right. Yeah. But that kind of comes back to for me at least. I think that's when I read it, I had like a significant experience, like spiritual kind of breakthrough or like in, in terms of my own identity, like earlier this, this um, spring. And, and I think I read your piece after that. And I think that's also why I had that strong resonance with it, but that invitation to the humility, like, because there, there was like a, a part of me that I'd kind of, I mean, I was doing lip service to the fact that like, oh, you're never done. And, and like, you know, I, you always have to keep developing and so forth. But there was like some, some little voice in me that I'd started whispering, you kind of know who you are by now. Like that little <laughs> part in your soul, like that's, that's yeah, just yeah. off limits. Like you're never going to figure that out. Like you got mm-hmm. it. And, and then um, I fell into that part of my soul that I had sort of, you know, thought was like, that's just, that's just, blackness like that's just the hole that i'm trying to fill and then i stumbled into it and it just got significantly smaller it was like a a large part of it that was revealed to me um but and and the part of that was was through my failure it was was kind of through to through looking at the my my you know my failure my death my inadequacies as man as a man as a partner as a father like all of those Mm -hmm. things kind of led me into that um But I'm, actually, I'm curious, like, what, what, why isn't that, in your opinion, like, why isn't that um, human messiness welcome in the mechanistic storyline? Like, because it seems to, like what I'm discovering from myself right now is that it has, it does unlock um skills for lack of a better word that weren't accessible before but like, i'm so curious about sort of why do you think it's been excluded like what why does the, sort of the chaos or whatever been been pushed like why are we sort of saying no to chaos and yes to order like in these in like little, mm-hmm. little boxes and like why do we need those tight like why do you have a feeling for that or well, I don't know if it's one thing because I think it's just karma. I mean, I mean, I think the, the short answer is that at some point we learned to exclude parts of ourselves, to exile parts of ourselves. Mm. Um, I think it's different in different cases. Sometimes we learned it as kids, like in order to be loved by our parents, we had to, you know, exclude parts of ourselves and just be the one child that, you know, that, that daddy loves or that mommy loves. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's, so sometimes it's from childhood. Sometimes it's from society. I mean, society definitely has very clear opinions about what types of people are, are good and what types of people are bad. And so 
there's always social pressure to exclude things, you know, you should be more extroverted. You should not be introverted. You mm -hmm. should be more productive. You should not be more, less productive, you know, all these things. Um, and then we get, and then of course there's just, who knows beyond that lifetimes beyond that we've been, you know, practicing certain things and excluding other things. So, um, I don't think it's one thing, but I, I think what happens is basically we cling to certain parts of who we are and we repress other parts of who we are. And so as a result, we're like these very one dimensional people. And then we wonder why we're so lonely, right? Mm -hmm. You can't, can't get over loneliness if you don't have access to the parts of you that really want to connect. Mm. So how, like in your journey, like how did you, what, what brought you to this moment? Like what, what were the, are there significant insights or, or significant events that, that helped you to come to this particular place? Yeah. Uh, can I tell, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the story of my failures. I'd prefer to talk about my failures <laughs> though, than, than my, than my insights uh, because they are, there's two sides of the same coin, right? So, um, uh, you know, one, uh, well, how far back should I go? So the one of the one of the uh, you know big failures, uh, which was that I I felt like I couldn't really um, I couldn't really one of my one of my failures. I'll start there was was feeling like um, I had to prove myself through my intelligence, mm -hmm. and that led me going to graduate school and then becoming a professor. And then just really feeling like I had just walked out onto a ledge and I was just, it was just like, you know, that was it. And I was so lonely and so isolated and so like not knowing what to do other than just jump. And uh, later on, I realized that again, that was because I had exiled so many parts of myself. So the, the first part of myself that I realized I had exiled was, was myself as a, as a creative person. Um, and, and all the, the shame and, uh, and, and terror that that part of me was carrying because I had, I had sort of gotten the message that I shouldn't be a creative person, that creative people are, are crazy and deranged and I should not go there. So that was my, my first failure was really realizing I couldn't be a, a professor because it just was too narrow of a part of me and, and it involved repressing too much. So then I was like, I'm going to be a musician. You know, and, and oh, everything's gonna be great now. I'm gonna be a musician, and like the crowds are gonna cheer, and it's all my dreams are gonna come true. And then I realized that actually the world had a very different opinion of my music than I did. You know, that I didn't, I didn't get the acclaim or the the critical, whatever notoriety that I that I thought, and that you know kind of sent me into another tailspin, right? You know, and, and so that was, so that through that failure, you know, and again, the failure is just the failure to be a rock star. It's not the failure of myself as an, as an, as an artist, because actually out of that failure came many beautiful artistic things. Mm. Um, then there's the failure of, you know, myself as, uh, as, as somebody who really felt like put into a teacher role very mm. young. And first I was a, an, a, an academic teacher and then I was a spiritual teacher and I still am, but that's a little more tricky because I feel like there's, there's use for me being a spiritual teacher. So sometimes I step into that role, but if I get too much in that role, it's not good. You know, I'm not just a teacher. I'm a student and um, people have all kinds of expectations about who I'm supposed to be as a teacher that I have to resist on a daily, on a daily basis, you know? Mm. So those are just three examples of failures that, you know, 
now. And of course, the flip side of failure is insight, right? Mm-hmm. How I'm curious about that teacher-student um, mm-hmm. thing, or like that 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 the duality, like or that polarity, or like the duality of of that that coin that those two seem to coexist in a way, or like very at least be very closely interrelated. Like how would would you care to unfold that a bit more? People have all kinds of archetypes around spiritual teachers. You know, there's a lot of like archetypes or maybe stereotypes is a better word. Um, so sometimes they're positive. It's like, I know everything, which I don't, or um, I figured it out, which I haven't. Um, or like I spend all my time just kind of in meditation, mm-hmm. which I don't, you know? So there's some positive stereotypes that are very limiting. And then there are negative stereotypes too. It's like, you know, people, um, if they find out that you have any kind of a sexuality, you know, as a spiritual teacher, it's like, oh, you must be one of those like, you know, sketch sex scandal, corrupted gurus. And it's like, no, I'm not actually, Uh, I have good boundaries with my students and I do have a sexuality and I'm not a guru. And you shouldn't look at me like I'm a priest because I'm not a priest. That's not something that I ever, it's not a vow I ever took, you know? So there's that kind of thing too. And, and so for a while I, I really felt like, okay, well, this is my calling is to be a spiritual teacher and to help people. And the older I get, the more I, I, I want to keep teaching just, you know, as a, description of what I do. I have classes, etc. But um I don't think people really are awakened by, especially in our culture, by me setting myself up as a teacher. It just it doesn't help. It doesn't help mm. them. It doesn't help me. Huh. What what does provoke provoker is it provoker yeah. is a better is a better <laughs> title. You know? Like someone who gets someone to think. Oh maybe I can be a different way or maybe there are parts of me that I can open up to. I think, yeah, it's so interesting because, I mean, what, a, a lot of the time that I spend in my life right now is to think about how there are, I see these sort of failures, I guess, or like aspects of the system or like the world that we live in that, that seems like they could have been different to, to, to sort of invoke, like provoke or, or induce less suffering in a way. And so I'm spending a lot of time thinking about how that could be done. And, and often an answer is um, knowledge in one way or another, or like to, to invite people into some sort of, I will teach you something, that type of context. Um, right. And I'm, I'm curious about it because I'm for myself, I've, I've taken great classes and great courses and I, you know, take part of a lot of different perspectives and I read a lot and, and like knowledge is a, is a very important and integral part of, of, my learning and, and like my spiritual journey and like all of that things. And, and at the same time, I feel like the shifts are usually something else. There's like a certain quality of the, of the relationships. And it's, it's, it has to do with that open-endedness that we've talked about a couple of times. Like when I'm not feeling like I'm pushed in one direction, but I'm rather pushed in the direction that I seem to be going already. But it's just, I might've, might've not known it yet, but there's a different sort of profession or like a skill. It's like a, you know, it's like a good teacher to me is like what you're saying, like a student or like a good, good leader is the one that follows me, like follows me on the path in a way, or like enables it. Or like, it's almost that physical concept of like, you know, the ionized air that collects the lightning and just makes it take the right quote unquote path to, to ground for that particular context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, 
the yeah. channel more than. Yeah, well, I, I yeah, we I I love the way you're saying it because I think in our culture we we have way too much emphasis on on knowledge and a very particular kind of knowledge, right? Like information. That's the thing. It's like we're such a data driven society, so it's like you know, so people go on like retreats and they come back and it's like the first thing they have to give the information about the insight that they've had, yeah. you know, and and it's like what we really have to give others is is what we've developed in ourselves, and that's not. That can't be put into information. Like that's not information. It's not like words or you know or even ideas. It's it's something else, and that's kind of my one of my resistance to the resistances to the role of being a teacher is that like I think what I really have to offer people is like like talk to me for a while and 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 look at how I look at you, you know, look at how I I relate to you and and see you and see your goodness and. You know, that's to me what I have to offer you is my is 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 my gaze and the way that I I can hold you, you know, and um, that's something that doesn't come through in like just distributing information. So, yeah, I really try more and more to figure out how I can get into one-on-one conversations with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know there's a there's a benefit. You know, one of the things I've seen, like for example, with my own words, is that sometimes they do really kind of cast a wide net or they go, they, they travel really far. And there's something very cool about that. And, you know, I hear someone say, Oh, I read your words and they really touched me. And I, I, I this is how we're meeting. Right. And so that's wonderful. I don't want to downplay that, but I just think more and more the one-on-one conversations like we're having right here, like those are the ones that I think really make a difference in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Cause and and at the same time, it's like my my economists or like or like business brain is just screaming like, "Come on! What about the scale? Come on! Scale, like, right? Yeah, scale, right. yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, the thing about scale is, I mean, it's that's the world we live in, right? So you see, it's done amazing things for you know, we live in an amazing world where you can get whatever you want through your through your phone, you know, and it's like, sure. That, there's great things that happen when you scale things, but you lose something too. I don't know if it's made us happier. No, no. And I mean, we're lo- we're looking at and living the costs of it uh, as well. Right. Like right. in terms exactly. of whatever, yeah. like it's not direct causality, but there are forest fires and there are war motions and there are totally things that are running out, you know, in the ground. Um, totally. Yeah. 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 It was, uh, I tell the story sometimes a, a friend of mine sat in on the, the board of a, I think it was a, a tutoring company. It was, and, and, and the person who was leading the board meeting said, you know, we had an 8,000% with 8,000% growth last year, but, but what we really need to, I really want to make sure there's more growth this year. Mm-hmm. My friend was thinking, how much do you have to grow? <laughs> like, like, you know, for what? And, and what, the reason why I, th- I thought it's a really cool story is because that word growth has been so co-opted by like, the sort of spiritual capitalist community. It's like, you always have to be growing. What can I read? What, what, what retreats can I go on? Whatever it is, I always have to be growing. And it's like, kind of as an expression of greed, you know, when you kind of break it down, we don't need to be growing all the time. We need to grow enough so that we can be happy, you know? Yeah. And I mean, like you're writing as well in that, in that piece, I mean, that middle part, I can't remember it like word by word, but it's, it has something to do with, with the, you know, to, to, restart like to go on another journey 
to search and like when it hurts too much, you escape by going on another journey instead of completing right, the one. Exactly. You're like it's it's like that. Yeah. You drop totally. it halfway, and then you you end up being. That's what I feel very much myself. Like all of the almost insights that I've had in my life. Um, right. You know, and then at some points, like way later than they could have been. You know, of course, I realize I can I have acceptance for that things have a natural like. There's a process to everything. Like things are. Right, right, right. Nature has a process, and that's that's so so. Like I'm not saying, but it, there's still that thing of like if you would have stayed with it, or actually brought it back, or actually let it be seen, or actually like if I would have had the courage at the time to do that, things might have turned out very differently. And you know, yeah. like I'm saying, I don't think that's true, yeah. but I also think that it's true. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, it's like they say in twelve step programs: don't quit before the miracle. You know, right. <laughs> I, th- I think that's what I was trying to say in the, the hero's journey piece, which is that like, you know, like the failure isn't a sign that you should give up. The failure is a sign that you're like, that something is that needs to die is dying and you need to move through it to see what's on the other side. Yeah, it's beautiful. Love it. Yeah. And another theme that hasn't necessarily been so present in this conversation, but that was very much there for me in, in our sort of pre-call in prep for this was, was that topic of, of surrender. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and I don't know. I mean, we spoke about, we spoke about sort of your meditation background and like, I guess that like probably relates to the, the spiritual, spiritual teacher aspect of, of you, like that facet of you. Um, but I'm curious about, I'm curious about bringing that in because it's, I mean, of course, it's close to humility to surrender to something, I guess. But mm-hmm. it, it's at the same yeah, time, yeah. I think there's an important distinction to make. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a difference between surrender and giving up. Um, you know, and it, to me, it's like surrender really means like accepting what is, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and giving up means like just thinking that you're not going to be able to be happy or that your that your life is over or that or that you need to start a new story or a new quest or whatever you know which which to me is very different from sur- like real surrender is like can i really see what's happening here mm. right my my financial life is a mess you know like i'm not my romantic life is a mess it's, this is happening this is real and this is this is the hero's journey you know this is this is where where i'm meant to put my attention rather than just kind of be like no you know, take me out of this game. I want to be put into another game, mm-hmm. right? Um, so yeah, the surrender is is bowing. I mean, it's, there's such a such an emphasis in Zen, you know, on bowing. Shinryu Suzuki said that like even if you're about to die, you should still bow. I love that. Mm-hmm. It's like even when you think all your options have been have been taken away from you, the one thing you get to choose is your surrender. You get to choose to bow. And in that bowing, you find that grace, that miracle, you know, you find you're in tune with what's happening. Hmm. Think about that. We don't do a lot of bowing in our culture, you know. No, it's the opposite, yeah. right? It's almost. Right. Oh, there's something just beyond my reach in what you just said. Just yeah, no. That's probably for a future self to discover. But mm-hmm. but in mm-hmm. 
So like the the terms, <laughs> the things that are are there for me right now, very presently, is like that the aspect of surrenders that we just spoke of, then the aspect of humility is there, and then that aspect of performance or or like that mm, discovery. And then I think I mean you planted the word growth as well in terms of like and all these themes seem to be words that are at least in the context that I hang out with, in a lot of them are very prevalent. They they are used a lot, like they're said a lot, and, right. and yet I feel, yeah, there, there might be some misunderstandings around them, or like how we actually move through them is, is different than at least how I would, how I try to relate to them. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if like if there's if this is like a wicker basket, and 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 we're trying to like kind of weave it together, like in in some way. Like what are the, what are the themes that you come across like in your own personal journey and also like in the work that you do with other people that seem to be like that that what are the threads that seem to actually help us like in in the more collective mm-hmm. sounds like are there yeah, common yeah. themes or threads that i mean i don't know if this is zooming out too wide tell me if this feels too vague but you know to me like what ties it all together is truthfulness and um and, and truthfulness is the, there's not one layer. There's not one level of truthfulness. You know, you can not be telling a lie and still be not truthful on, on all, all kinds of other levels. And, um, and to me, you know, like one of the re- things I'm aware of a lot when I write um, is that there's always this like, I'm always picking at something, right? And I realize that and I don't want to be like, pedantic it's not like a because you can pick any word apart and you can take down any idea and it's not to do that for its own sake doesn't mean anything but i try to look for places where i feel like people the world maybe me are um are hiding something Mm. in behind a word so like just that word growth that we talked about and obviously growth is a beautiful thing we want to grow we want to grow more we want to grow in ways we've never experienced before you know, but but sometimes you can kind of see that it's it's hiding this fear that like I got to be bigger than everyone else, or I got to grow more than everyone else, right? So like I'm just trying to shine a light on that. It's not that like we should never use the word growth again, right? You know, or surrender, right? Surrender can have a, a very beautiful connotation in terms of accepting. It can also have a sense of like, ah, you know, I'm uh, whatever. I'm I'm saying horrible things to my wife and, and making her feel horrible, but I, I'm surrendering. That's just how I am. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So every, every word has two sides to it, but I think what ties all of it together is just a commitment to being truthful. Like, what do I really mean? And I often say that like life doesn't listen to what you say. It listens to what you mean. Mm-hmm. What do I really mean by this word that I'm using? You know, and that's the inquiry I think. Yeah. That's beautiful. I'm I'm hearing you speak to this like there's this other concept of like the the negative, like the the space, right? In a way, like w- what I'm hearing you point to is that that's what's like there's there's something there's a dissonance here. There's like uh, speaking mm-hmm. of attunement, like we're this is not it's not delivered in tune. Like it's it might be correct, mm. but but the rest right. of the song might be you know a, 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 right it, exactly. it might be a little bit you know different. And so you have to right. adapt to that thing so there's like that that uncovering and and what came up for me as well and i'm curious to hear what you think about that especially with from the buddhist context probably but it's like 
the direction of of uncovering to me, it feels like downwards rather than ascent oriented. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the the purest way of really uncovering what's there isn't even in words, it's in the body. Sure. You know, and I think it's so coming down from the head and into the body, it's like that's like really the ultimate goal to be able to feel things. That's where you really know when, when things are in tune and when things are out of tune. Um, you know, and in, in the head, it's very, well, that could be right. Well, the opposite could be right too, right? You know, but you can really feel in the body when what someone says or what I say is out of tune. Um, yeah. And I think that it's it's important that to use that guidance system, but also to use it non-judgmentally. Right. Because mm-hmm. I think the truth is that we're always in some state of untruthfulness. And if you get really upset about that, you know, you can't go forward. You can just kind of take it as information. It's like, oh yeah, that wasn't quite the way I wanted to say it. Maybe I can say it again a different way, or maybe next time I'll, I'll try to say it a little bit more truthfully. And, and so, but yeah. And so this was the other sort of the, the, the next revolution of that dialed for me was like this whole, again, in, in the, growth or like in the personal development space. I mean, now that, that there's some spirituality or like different forms of spirituality kind of coming in there, I've, I find that um, often in, in growth, we are, we're pointing like it's upwards and enlightenment is like up and, yeah. and it's towards the right, light. Right. And like, it's like ascension. there's a certain yeah. Yeah, ascension, right? And versus yeah, yeah. like that other, and I'm curious, yeah, I was just curious about sort of your Theravada, like with the Buddhist training, like that, what, how, how does is is that so? Is that like the right way to understand that concept, or is it just a, a Western projection into? I don't think the Buddha uses a lot of ascension metaphors. I mean, I could be wrong about that. I, I he, I mean, sometimes in like in Thailand they say meditation is elevating your mind. So that's mm-hmm. that's useful because when your mind is a little elevated, you can kind of see your you can see your life a little more clearly, but. Uh, I don't think we're trying to ascend. In, in fact, you know, one of the things that Buddha noticed, and if you believe in this, that in his knowledge of different realms and different lifetimes is that people who kind of, they, they kind of get reborn as devas or gods. And what usually happens is very quickly, they mess it up and they fall mm-hmm. down again. And so it's like, we're going up and down and up and down. And, and that's not really where, where it's at. Like the real the real thing is to get out of that whole system of wanting to be superior, wanting to be a God, you know, that's not, um, I mean, there are advantages to being a God, right? You don't have to worry so much about how you're going to pay rent. You can focus a little (laughs) bit more on meditation, but in practice, what happens is when people, you know, when I I always say like the celebrities are kind of like the devas of, of our, of our world. Like when people get that kind of power, that kind of privilege, they usually mess it up. You know, it's not necessarily something that you want. Um, this human life is with has a perfect balance of joy and sorrow. It's it's exactly what we need, you know, to to really gain wisdom. Yeah, and I mean, it kind of comes back to that concept of humility, right? That that's been kind of a through line for this entire conversation, which is there's something. There's a lot of things just at the edge of my knowledge. Usually I can, I can kind of like, they come in, but they're not quite speaking to me yet. So let's see. Um, in terms of like what, where you're orienting at the moment, like, what are you, 
what are the levers that you're like focused on? Like in terms of like what, what, how we spoke about change like very early on, like very, very briefly. And I'm wondering like, is there, are there, is there change that you're looking to enact like in the world or in yourself? What are you? Yeah, I, I, uh, I think I, I, I think I'm coming to a place in my life where actually, um, my externals are, are more settled than they were. I feel like, you know, my, my relationships and my sense of where I'm going to be living and what I'm going to, you know, that they're, they're a little bit more calm for the moment. I know that they have a way of then erupting. Um, and so I really feel like I want to use this time just to sort of deepen into my practice, find more stillness, um, and just really, really take care of like the sweetness. Cause I feel like there's a lot of sweetness in my life right now. And, and I feel like that's, uh, that's a big service to the world around me because I think um, I know that I can, I can sort of broadcast or disseminate a lot of ideas and, you know, and thoughts and words. And like, I, I know I have that ability and, and that's cool, but I think it would be really great if I could really ground that more um, in a sense of stillness. And you know, to some extent, I mean, I've been meditating for a very long time, so it's not like I, I haven't achieved any of that, but, um, but there's, there's a lot further to go. And so I, I think about that a lot. Hmm. Not, did I answer the question though? Cause I'm not sure if, if that was what Maybe. you I don't know where I was heading with it, but I, I can see the theme of stillness and rest being like one of one yeah. thing that comes through for me and and quite a few people around me. So I can also just recognize that that's probably yeah, part of the resonance yeah. that longing for for there's um, such a longing for rest in the world right now, mm. and and it's like and people have a lot of shame around it. They're like, ah, oh, I don't know, but I need a different pillow or whatever. And it's like, no, that's you're actually getting to the heart of the problem. Like that's really it because it's not about the, the pillow. I mean, maybe you do need a new pillow. I don't know, right. but, but it's really like, I love that word rest because rest also means what we rest the mind on. Like, it's like when we rest the mind on things that can't create peace, we never get any rest, no matter how much we stay in bed. And so learning how to rest the mind on, on good things is that's like, that's the heart of it. That's like, that's the core right there. So rest is not a, a trivial thing. It's like, it's a really big deal. That's cool. Because that kind of brings in this word, like something that's really present for me right now is this word devotion. Like to really lean into what I'm devoted to. Like, yeah, what is it that I really care about that like, right. I will actually get up and do and keep doing and it'll feed me as well. Like, so yes. even if I'm, let's say yeah. working hard or breaking into a sweat or like I'm doing things like then, then it's still like generative. Like it's still, yeah. I really love that you gave me that, that like the, the rest of your mind on something. That's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, and I love that word devotion too, because that's really the point. I mean, instead of trying to scale everything, you sure. know, and like see how many people we can bombard with our whatever, to really choose something and be devoted to it is such a gift to the world. That's really big. And yeah. And also when I'm hearing you speak, I mean, it, what bubbles up through, through the cracks here is also like, it's again, it's back to that negative, like what's not here. Like what are the things that I don't 
necessarily have to do. If my devotion is in that direction, or if right, if I right. if I'm devoted to resting, like if I'm devoted to myself as well, then like what what are the things that I can stop doing? And like how much? Like if I read climate science, you know that there's so much of the stuff that I'm reading is not about what can we do. It's about stop. Like just right. stop right. already. You know, it's a practice of subtraction. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, right. Totally, yeah. I mean, there's such value to stopping for the whole world, you know, but also to ourselves, for ourselves. Yeah. Is there anything else that I um, that we've not talked about that you wished that we should have talked about, or that's present to you right now? Well, I feel like we just arrived at a place of stopping, so (laughs) (laughs) right, (laughs) feels pretty complete. You know, I think that's the thing. It's like. Yeah, just stop. Yeah. And and if people want help stopping or no. <laughs> but if if people want to listen to your music or engage with you in one way or the other, um, why why should they do that and where can they do that? Um, they should do it if their heart feels inspired. That's the only reason. Um, and um it, I have a pretty, assuming you spell my last name right, I have a, I'm pretty easy to find. So uh, I, I don't, um, you know, I don't like have like business accounts and things like that. Like I try to just be Paul Weinfield. So you can find me on Spotify if you want to listen to my music. You can find me on Facebook if, or Instagram if you want to just connect with me directly. Um, and, you know, if you want to have a conversation, whether or not you want to do formal coaching, but if you just want to like, have a conversation about what's happening, you know, just the one-on-one practice that we were talking about earlier. Uh, please just reach out. I'm always here. Cool. I'll get some links in the show notes as well. So people can click if they're feeling the pull. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time, Paul, and like kind of diving in here with some, some dude uh, from, from somewhere, some other part of the world. I uh, really appreciate it. Such a pleasure. Trust. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Ahmed. Thanks for, Creates a wonderful space.